Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Preston Jacobs, and I am joined here once again by the Alex Jones of the Game of Thrones community, Carmine Red Team Review. There is a slave child colony on Mars. Don't let them don't let them fool you. The media is always trying to fool you. But uh, <laughs> Preston, that was uh, that was pretty good. I, I, I you, you, that was pretty good, man. Next time I'll have you do the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, guys, welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast. For those of you who are new here, we like to do an after show after every release to focus on comments and questions you guys left for us during the last episode. So don't forget to leave your thoughts down in the comments section or feel free to message me, Carmine, on Twitter or Facebook and we may discuss your thoughts in the next episode. And as always, we're available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so be sure to check us out there. And also, before we begin, I just want to give a big shout-out to Quit for sponsoring today's podcast. For those of you who don't know, they're a new app that allows you to collect stickers, cards, and toys for free from some of your favorite shows on television, such as Rick and Morty, Breaking Bad, and yes, even Game of Thrones. So if you're like me and you enjoy using emojis and stickers, then Quit has thousands of them. There's nothing like adding a Tyrion Lannister sticker at the end of every text message to make you feel like a certified badass or maybe an alcoholic. It's available for free on Android and iPhone, and my username on there is Red Team Review, so feel free to add me on there and trade with me. Links are below and in the description. So, before we begin, I just want to say happy late birthday to Preston. For those of you who don't know, it was Preston's, oh. <laughs> Preston's birthday a couple weeks ago, and he finally turned 21, so congratulations. 21. It was incredible. <laughs> 21 shots. Yeah, finally. You, you actually posted a, a pretty somber uh, a post on Facebook what, what, about you looking in the mirror. What was up with that? Well, I mean, I don't like birthdays. Who who does like birthdays? I mean, you know, it's a reminder of dying. But I mean, this is why you have your friend. This is why you have your friends around and why people get wasted on their birthday is, you know, constant reminder that that we're going to blink out of existence, you know. Well, good times, good times. Well, I will say this: like you're still a young guy, but 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 here's how I do aging, right? See, right now I'm 25. Mm. When you're 45, I'll be 30. When you're 50, I'll be 30. And then when you're 55, you'll understand why I'm still 25. So that that's, <laughs> that 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 is my whole life life uh, pro life tip on uh, aging. I also I also look at it as years until death. So sometimes people will tease me and they'll be like, oh, man, you're so old. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm you're probably going to die first person I'm talking to, you know, what the <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty healthy. You know, <laughs> so sometimes sometimes I, I, I turn it around like that. Like, man, you've only got you yourself, sir, only have 30 years left. Jesus so. Christ. You have a nice <laughs> office job. There's no way you could die in there. I mean, versus someone who has to go out all the time. Well, yeah, you know, who's working know. in construction? Or... I've, I've got, I've got incredibly low cholesterol. Though tall people tend to tend to die early, so maybe <laughs> I don't know. Well, Preston has our questions for this episode, so I'm I'm going to be letting you uh, take the helm on this one in terms of questions, and we're going to be discussing the second trailer a little bit because you haven't done your own Q and A yet, which is which is fine. We can just you know do it here if you want. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well. Um, yeah. I was getting some some questions about, and, and and I mostly get questions like thrown through my window, like wrapped around <laughs> bricks. Um, so I wanted to ask you about Lightbringer. Um, and so I was, I've been getting a lot of questions about what happened to Stannis's sword, and if it somehow got picked up and is now in 
Beric Dondarrion's hands because the new one, Beric Dondarrion doesn't look like he's lighting his sword. And so some people think that maybe that's Stannis' sword, Lightbringer. Well, my whole, my whole theory on the whole Lightbringer thing in the show, not the books, is that when Stannis took out his uh, flaming sword thing in season two, episode one of season two, it wasn't really a flaming sword because, you know, he's, he's cool and he's badass and the sword is special. It was probably Melisandre doing her own tricks because in season four, when Melisandre's taking a bath and Stannis' wife comes in, she basically, you know, com- uh, confesses that a lot of her, her quote-unquote magic are just parlor tricks. They're just, you know, bullshit. So I think that's what Melisandre was doing to make Stannis convince... I think that's what Melisandre was doing to convince Stannis that the whole flaming sword thing means he's the chosen one. But what I really think the whole thing is, is that Beric... Either Beric is the chosen one, either Beric is Azor Ahai, or that Thoros of Mir brought Lightbringer, the actual Lightbringer, with him from Ashai when he came to Westeros ages ago. He brought it with him. He used it in the Greyjoy Rebellion, which is why everyone's like... Oh, that's Thoros Mir. He was the flaming sword guy in the Greyjoy Rebellion. You know, and uh, he eventually gives it to Beric because they're best friends. To me, that would make more sense. So it gets really confused because obviously in the show, Stannis has a ceremony for Lightbringer on the beach. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out the flaming sword. And then we never see that goddamn sword ever again. That's not true. We saw it when he was about to get his ass kicked when the Bolton's men charge him. And we see it again when he's killing those two guys. Showing that he's a competent fighter, but not competent enough to uh, escape Brienne. But, uh, but but it's not it's not a flaming light sword. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not special. So why didn't he use the flaming light sword when uh, he was fighting in, the, in the, uh, the Bolton battle? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not... It's not Lightbringer in this in the book sense. Like it's not a big glowing sword that that he pulls out and blinds everybody. Like he doesn't. He has the ceremony on the beach for Lightbringer, and then it, it's no longer a special sword. Wait. So are you saying Lightbringer is just a normal sword that's supposed to be special that the only the Lord of Light chosen guy can use? It's just a normal sword that doesn't flame. Or does Lightbringer have to flame all the time for it to be that special chosen sword? Well, I don't think so. Originally, I was wondering if 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 it were actually Lightbringer, like could it could another dude pick up Lightbringer and have it be light, or can only Stannis do that? But in the show, it's not even light. Like Stannis' sword doesn't even light up. So like, Lightbringer's not a thing in the show. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not a thing. Just like the Valencar like, thing. Right, the Valencar thing is not a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just it doesn't it it just he's got the ceremony and then. Lightbringer's never mentioned again. Um, now, Thor, like, Beric has a flaming sword, and in the book, he has to light the thing on fire because it's, it's covered in wildfire, but in the show, his sword just lights up. Right. So, it's kind of like in the show, Beric has Lightbringer. Mm-hmm. Because cause it's a sword that automatically, like, flames up, while Stannis does not have Lightbringer. But, so things are getting very confused. But, yeah... I mean, I'm, I, like I said, if, if Lightbringer's going to be in the show, I would I would rather Thoros of Mir have used it, given it to Beric, and that's why it can light up without having to, him having to dip it in wildfire. Right, because in the show, wildfire is a little rarer than... Yeah, in the book. show, wildfire, uh, you know, because the whole, you know, the whole... Ta- it's, it, in the show, wildfire is taboo. Not a lot of people know about it. Only the f- certain few people in King's Landing know about it because there's probably jars of it was confiscated after the Mad King tried to have everything burned down. 
So I mean, apparently, apparently in the book, anyone can just go to the pyromancers and say, "Hey, can I have some wildfire?" And they'll go, "Sure, here you go." Doesn't doesn't Jamie supposedly kill all of them or kill a good chunk of them? No, he only kills he only kills the the head of the pyromancers like back in the <clears> day. <throat> like the pyromancer guild like survives, and Thoros shops with them. He goes in, he's like, "Here's five bucks, give me some wildfire," <laughs> and then and then you know. You know, then Cersei gets interested in him. You were saying how uh, it would be fucking weird if Stannis did have Lightbringer in the show, and then, you know, after he dies, his store is just there, and all the uh, workers from Winterfell come out to, you know, take the armor from the dead bodies, and some asshole just picks up the fucking sword and it flames. (laughs) Blinds himself. (laughs) That's it, in the armory. And then maybe when they're headed north, like, Beric, like, finds it, but... (laughs) And that's why he has it, but no, I think... Beric is always Beric always seemed to have in the show Beric always just seemed to be able to light up his sword. Um and I don't know if he has a special sword, it's not explained. Unlike in the book where it's wildfire. I I would just like it if he had a, had a special sword because you know, he's to me, to me the reason he can either uh light that shit up with without having to try is because one of two things in the show. He's either such a devoted warrior of the Lord of Light like, we've seen priests of the Lord of Light. We've seen priests and priestess. We've seen, you know, devout followers who are, you know, just praying. But we've never seen a full-fledged warrior of the Lord of Light. You know, like mm. how in the Faith mm. of the Seven we've seen, you know, the Septas and Septons. We've, yeah, and we've seen, like, actual, like, you know, uh, warriors of them. We don't, we've never seen a warrior of the Lord of Light. So maybe it's a special ability only the certain warriors of the Lord of Light can activate. You, you, just, never, you just never saw Kinvara, like, kick any ass. Exactly. We, we 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 never like like the one thing that always annoyed me is how is how uh, I don't remember if this is in the books because it's probably this is Clash of Kings. The one thing that always annoyed me about season two is how Davos says to Stannis, "Look, we're gonna go into the Battle of Blackwater. Don't bring her with you. Don't bring her with you." And Stannis is like, "All right, fine. I won't bring her with me." And then after the battle, after he loses, she goes, "If you brought me with you, I could have turned the tide of battle." I just always wanted to know how if she could have turned the tide of battle if she was there. How? How could she have done that? How could she have turned? Is is there is there a moment like that in the books where I don't remember Clash of Kings? But is there a moment after like Stannis loses? Is there a moment where uh, she goes, "If I was there, I could have turned it." You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I ex- I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, because she has a chance to turn the tide uh, in season five when Stannis is about to get his ass kicked, but she runs away. So, how could she really turn the tide during the Battle of the Blackwater if she was there? Is that is that just bullshit? Huh. Because so, I will say, and I've been I've been I've been recently having some discussions with people over over uh, over Melisandre. So when you're when you're reading the second and third book. And Melisandre seems to have a lot more power um, and is so much more mystical. And then that gets shattered in A Dance with Dragons when you have her chapter where she essentially reveals, actually, I'm a, I'm a big fucking fraud. Um, and so it's funny because when it's just, and this gets into my whole thing about why I don't think there's magic in, in Ice and Fire. Or if there is, it operates by very you know specific rules. Um, Melisandre, like... A lot of people like if you're when you're reading a clash of kings and a storm of swords you just assume she's magic and so you're never looking for rules so you're like oh she could turn the tide of battle through magic you know she can birth shadow babies through magic um so when you say like oh how can she do it well magic um but 
Nat, once you once you read the Melisandre chapter and you realize she's mostly a fraud, it's like, well, no, she couldn't have turned the tide of battle at all. She's full of crap. She can't. She can't. She doesn't have that power. Well, like you said, she, if it's magic, you don't like high fantasy where someone can just snap their fingers and like a fireball appears. You don't like that. And I understand right. this. This is not high fantasy. This is like a little dark fantasy. And with dark fantasy, a lot of the magic is grounded. For example, mm. in a lot of fantasy. Uh, novels and manga and comics I've read and shows I've seen, you know, certain people can just snap their finger or wave their wand and a shadow assassin will appear. But in Game of Thrones, the magic is there, but it's more grounded. In order to make an assassin made of shadows appear, you have to maybe drink... Hi, I'm Mr. Meeseeks! <laughs> Mr. Meeseeks. <laughs> you have to maybe drink something, fuck a guy, and then birth it like you would a normal child. And instead of it being a child, it's just a deformed, crazy shadow monster that goes in a uh, Mr. Meeksies, basically, and goes in and does does your bidding. <laughs> Which is why I don't believe in shadow babies. <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Uh, the whole Mr. Meeksies. Preston and I were joking about the how uh, uh, Smell Sandra's shadow babies are basically Mr. Meeksies. That's what people believe they are. Yeah, they have one purpose and uh, they have one purpose. Like, what, what, what was I saying? They just know instantly. Like, yeah, you know, birth it out. Hi, I'm Mr. Meeksies. Kill Courtney Penrose. Okay, <laughs> and then they disappear. <laughs> just like. I would, I would, what was I saying? Like, I would love it if, you know, the, the shadow baby was uh, spawned to go kill Renly, but then Renly sees it beforehand and runs off and has to go chase him. Then he has to create his own, and then they get super depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't Renly stay in the same place? I hate my life! <laughs> well, 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 wait, wait, can't, can... Hmm. Can shadow babies travel? Can the sh- these shadows? I like calling them shadow assassins. It makes it cooler. Can these shadow assassins travel long distances? So, so now we're gonna get into it. This is this is we're gonna we want to talk about shadow babies. I'll talk about shadow babies because I don't think it. they exist. <sighs> okay. So shadow babies. Let's. So you've got the Renly situation and you have the Courtney Penrose situation, and these are these are combined in the in the show but they're they're two distinct events in the so book. basically for those of you who don't know haven't read the books uh courtney penrose is the uh, he's the castellan right of storm's end yeah when, when, castellan of storm's end so stannis has melisandre use two shadow assassins right uh one against Stan- right. ranley who's out in camp he's camping with his soldiers and afterwards uh stannis wants to take storm's end but the castellan won't let him he's challenged stannis to a duel and stannis is like fuck that so he just has the Shadow Assassin kill him as well, right? Right, or that's what we're led to believe. Mm. So, um, now, if you actually go back, the, the events that occur during the first, the first uh, Shadow Assassin is uh, Stannis uh, falls asleep. He's with Melisandre, and he's with um, Devin, uh, Davos' son. Stannis falls asleep. He cannot be woken up. Uh, now, if you remember, there's another situation where people can't be woken up. Like Bran, when he's warging, when he's skin changing, can't be woken up. Um, so, like right there, there's kind of something with Stannis' consciousness. Um, and so then the shadow, the uh, an invisible creature comes in and actually kills Renly. A lot of people say, oh, a shadow killed Renly. No, actually, an invisible creature kills kills Renly. It casts a shadow, and that shadow has Stannis' face. 
But the invisible creature is the thing that actually kills him, not a shadow. Okay, and that's kind of the uh, that's kind of a big deal because it's not the 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 thing there is actually an invisible embodiment of Stannis's consciousness. Like Stannis is warging, and then an invisible embodiment of Stannis's consciousness, really his subconscious kills Renly. Um, he later Stannis has the memories of killing Renly, so like the consciousness returns to his body and he has the memories of it, just like. When, Stan, when, when Bran is warging Summer, his consciousness goes into Summer, and afterwards his consciousness returns, and he has all of those memories. Wait a minute, what are you trying to say? That Stannis is a warg now? I'm saying that Melisandre, as a Shadowbinder, is, is capable of taking uh, Stannis' subconscious mind and pulling it out of his body, and his subconscious mind goes and kills Renly. Now, you may say, oh, this sounds so crazy. It turns out it's the exact same plot of George R. R. Martin's favorite movie, Forbidden Planet, um, where a guy falls asleep and his, his subconscious mind kills everyone. Like, it's the exact same plot. Um, when I met George R. R. Martin, I brought up Forbidden Planet, and George R. R. Martin said, oh, that's my favorite movie. And I said, I said to him, yeah, no, it really reminds me of when Renly... When Stannis and Renly, when Renly died and the shadow assassin and he like immediately turned away and started talking to somebody else. I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know if he just like turned away and started talking to somebody else because he was distracted or if he just like he was like, I don't want to be talking about that subject. Mm. But, <laughs> but but it was uh, but it is the plot. It is the exact same plot of his favorite movie is the subconscious mind killing somebody. Now, if you want to say, okay, well, maybe the subconscious mind of, of Stannis went into the Shadow Assassin or something, and it's similar, fine, I don't know. But now, with the second instance, um, Melisandre is not with Stannis, and as far as we know, Stannis is not asleep. Melisandre, you know, comes underneath Storm's End, and then Davos sees a shadow come out of her vagina. Um, not an invisible creature, which is like Kat sees an invisible. Well, she doesn't see an invisible creature, but she sees in you know, there's an invisible creature there. So it, he sees a shadow come out of her vagina. And then later we, we don't, we don't know what kills Courtney Penrose, but Courtney Penrose is tossed off a, um, a balcony. Anyone could have tossed him off that balcony. Like any of his men who should have been loyal to Stannis could have tossed him off. So, I mean, Melisandre has the ability to glamour. The second instance could have just been her glamouring or her, you know, uh, releasing some sort of, you know, smoke that gives Davos a, a, um, a hallucination or whatever. But, you know, there, there doesn't need to be a shadow baby for the second instance. And the first instance seems more like warging than anything else. But that's my explanation of the shadow babies. But and I've, and some people are like, "Oh, you're crazy." It's <laughs> the the much more realistic situation is that Melisandre had sex with Stannis, and they, they and their seed developed into a a a Mister Meeseeks uh, like demon that would just knowingly know to 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 kill Renly on a one on a one time thing and then disappear from existence. Yeah, why not? Why Magic. Not? 
Magic. 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 It, it's... And that's how she could turn the tide of battle. Magic. <laughs> I don't think she could actually turn the tide of battle. I think she could use, no. like, glamour abilities to, you know, make the uh, combatants... Like, to, to me, a lot, of, a lot of battle, a lot of medieval battle is about morale. You know, it's about strategy and morale. You, 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 you hmm. can have, like, 50,000 men versus 10,000 men. And those 10,000 men would probably win that fight if those 50,000 guys weren't really into it. Because something spooked them. Yeah. You know, well, there, there's a big thing about like spooking horses and and breaking the van and 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 causing people to panic. Like that's that's a big part of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. So maybe Melisandre could have like created a glamour that caused everybody to get really scared and then, you know, turn the tide. I I see where your 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 scientific uh, your belief about Song of Ice and Fire being uh, science fiction coming from because. Maybe the Lord of Light guys are just uh, people who have found advanced technology and can take advantage of it, you know? I mean, it's it's tough. Like, it's tough not to go the way, because when you start mm-hmm. reading these stories where the characters are exactly the same and they're doing the same events, but it's sci-fi, then, you are you know, that's why, like, you know, my mind goes this way. Like, Well, your mind goes you know, this way you, when... because you're so into George R. R. Martin, his, his story that you read his other stories. A lot of people who do a right. Song of Ice and Fire content don't go to his other things. They just focus on this one thing. That's why people, you know, trust your word on this thing. Uh, even if some of us, like some people always message me, please tell Preston to stop calling Ice and Fire uh, science fiction. But he, here's the thing, though. I mean, a lot of artists, a lot of artists and writers and authors take their previous work and put it into their uh, most famous one. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is if you haven't read his other work, you're you're approaching Ice and Fire from a Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings, scope, right. which is why like you'll naturally say like, oh, it's all about, it's all about magic, and you know I know I know a lot of people that are that are like, oh, which gods are real? Like I really think Relora is a real god, and I'm like I don't, I mean I've read everything else by George R. R. Martin, he's a complete atheist. Like I don't think he would ever have gods be in his stories. Like, and if you would have gods be in their story, it, it would be just to criticize them and, and show people that this is fucking stupid, this is goddamn ridiculous. Right. They'd mm-hmm. be like the most evil, heart, you know, uh, well, I guess that that would be the case if Rolor was re- the only gods in the world are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you do make a good point about, uh, you know, Forbidden Planet being his favorite movie because we've seen lots of authors. I mean, for example, um, uh, the, the, the one I can really think of right now is, I'm going to sound like such a it's gonna be so random, but I've been I've been binge watching the hell out of One Piece recently, and One Piece is this manga about this kid who wants to be king of the pirates, blah blah blah, and he visits a lot of these islands and a lot of these like these locations. The author is clearly a fan of Disney. He clearly mm. is a fan. Of, like there's this one location he goes to uh, called Thriller Bark. The main antagonist of that location has the ability to take your shadow and put it somewhere else, and. He's basically making a bunch of zombies and you know random monsters, and this is this is basically the uh, the author's uh, version of Nightmare Before Christmas in his work. You know, there's lots of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So there there there's a they they eventually go to an island where this woman has the ability to take your soul and throw it in inanimate objects like doors or trees or candy or you know stuff like that. And that's the author is clearly taking a, uh, inspiration from Alice in Wonderland. So yeah, yeah. So we, we we've seen this with stuff before, and and it makes a lot of sense that uh, George Martin's favorite you know movie would come into his work. Okay, so uh, what's your next question? Um, well, this was the uh, and another thing. So was uh, I got was 
where where the hell is Quaithe? <laughs> um, hmm. And obviously, Quaithe is such a big part of of the books. And I wouldn't say she's I a really big part, but she's she's a good part of Danny's story. Well, Quaithe is retroactively a big part of Danny's story. Yeah. Um, eventually, in the in the last in the in the books, we eventually kind of figure out that uh, the dreams that Danny's been receiving in 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 the first book um, were at least at least some of them were sent by Quaithe. By the way, for those and of you who so, don't know who Quaithe is, she's the woman with a mask in season two, I believe. Uh, Jorah goes to her to find out where the dragons are, and she's painting this uh, naked guy facing, you know, painting this naked guy and telling Jorah where to find the dragons. That's who Quaithe is. She's a big right. part in the books, but in the show, they kind of just sidelined her. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, her her history in the books is essentially she was sending some dreams to Danny, then Danny runs into her in Karth, and then she visits her in. Uh, she might visit her some more in some dreams. We don't know, but she shows up in uh, a dance with dragons through a glass candle. She visits Danny and gives her some more prophecies. So much um, prophecies. She just just can't. She just can't say. You know, honestly, like like she just can't be straight and say this is what's gonna happen. Don't do this. Don't do that. Well, I mean, I believe that that's by design. That that when you're trying to screw with somebody mentally and you're trying, <laughs> you uh. You, you say everything in a riddle. <laughs> but why would she want to screw with Danny? I I don't necessarily think she's she's on Danny's you know side, or she wants she wants to make Danny not trust anyone. I mean, if you say like don't trust anyone, like that's the thing is you say like the Valencar, like like the Valencar could be so many people mm-hmm. that it makes someone like Cersei not trust anyone. Right. So Quaith comes in and she says, you know don't trust and then she gives this laundry list of like ambiguous things mm-hmm. that could be anyone the mummer, the know? mummer's dragon who could that the be the mummer's dragon yeah the sun's son like that could be any it could be anything like anything the sun's son the uh, uh the uh, perfumed uh, what's what's it called the perfumed seneschal yeah. yeah um and so yeah the the lion and the and the griffin like there's a lot of lions and there's a lot of griffins and there's a lot of sun suns. Um, well, the, well there, there, there can only be one sun sun. No, no. See, I get I get arguments about all this all, all the time. Everyone's like, no, that's Quentin Martell. I was like, nah. I mean, really? who could be the sun sun? Oh, I mean, anybody. Uh, one argument uh, is um, Drogo is her son in stars, right? Mm-hmm. So the sun sun was Rago. So they were really talking about prophecies at the House of the Undying. So when she says, like, oh, don't trust the sun's son, don't trust that prophecy, you know, or ah. you know, anybody, yeah. Or, you know, sun could be, when she says sun's son, it might not be the the yellow ball sun. It could be a sun's son as in as a, a grandson, you know. A well, son. doesn't she, sp- the, but, well, isn't it written down as sun, S-U-N? Right, but she's spoken to. Like we see it as written, but it's being spoken to Danny. <laughs> I don't know, man. That, that's a little. You're, you're reaching there. You're reaching. Uh, but then again, here's the other thing: is Danny thinks it's Quentin, which and our our protagonists are almost always wrong. So whatever Danny thinks, it's almost too easy, right? Mm-hmm. Son, son. 
So, what, 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 when, yeah. once you get down George Martin's rules for how to uh, for for like uh, you know the, his books, like um, the, the 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 most tortured sickly person always survives. They don't die. They always stay alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like 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 one of those rules. The protagonist is always wrong. There's at least one character in the entire books who's wrong the entire time, or and one character is right the entire time. When you crack down yeah. these rules, you can pretty much figure out what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, if there's a list of possibilities, like that they're thinking about in their head, mm-hmm. like those possibilities are not gonna happen. You know, like, oh, tomorrow I'm either going to have breakfast or I'm going to go to the tourney or you know I'm gonna put on a, a leather jerkin. No, no, none of those things are gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be, you're gonna have your arms cut off. <laughs> you know, it's it's always it's always option four. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, uh, but Sun Sun, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's Quentin Martell. Everybody else thinks it's Quentin Martell, but it's just too easy. It's too easy, and Danny Don, Danny gets it immediately. No, no way, Danny. All our protagonists are idiots. They they never get it. You know, she she also thinks Resnack is the perfume Seneschal, and yet everyone's like, no, nah, it can't be Resnack. No, no, no one believes that one. But Sun Sun, everyone believes. But where is Quaith, though? In the show, she's gone forever. She was just this random fortune teller who, you know, just appeared, told Jorah where the dragons are, and then, poof, she's gone. In the books, uh, do you think she's in Ashai or still in uh, still in Karth? I think she's still in Karth. Um, I, I personally think that Danny is going to head back to Karth at some point. But um, what's there, though? And, There's nothing there. Well, uh, <laughs> well, Quaith is there. Besides Quaith, what else is there, though? <laughs> Uh, there, the, it has a unusual history, um, and so you might be able to unlock some secrets about the entire world uh, there. Mm. So, so, Karth is surrounded by three walls, and the outermost wall is a is a stone wall, and then there's like a. Um, uh, 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 I'm gonna look at the gotta look up the material because I don't want to get the materials wrong. Go ahead, but. Um, it's uh the uh it kind of seems like the outermost wall is the most primitive wall and the innermost wall is the um most advanced one but how would you ever build walls to a city that way you build walls to a city outward so your 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 most your most your latest wall should be the outermost wall and yet Karth's outermost wall is the most primitive wall um and so there's this interesting, uh, yeah, so the walls are the, the uh, three thick walls encircle Karth. The outer wall is red sandstone, 30 feet high, the, with uh, scenes of animals. The second, the middle wall is 40 feet high, and it's granite, and it's got war. And the innermost wall is black marble and has carvings of people fucking. And so at first you think, okay, well that's that's Karth's history, right? It's got nature on the on the outer, outermost most primitive wall. Then it's got war and battle uh, on the on the middle wall, and then you you reach Karth's modernity, where they're just doing trade and luxury of black marble on the inner wall. And so you think that like it's progressing, like from sandstone to granite to marble, is the history of Karth. But the problem is, is that like the marble wall should be the outermost wall because you don't 
you'd never build walls inward. You'd have to demolish parts of the city. It would just be completely impractical. And so if that's all flipped around, then it's like, well, that means Karth's most modern, like Karth's earliest period was when they had the marble. Then they had the war and the granite. And then they descended down to uh, like nature. And then if, then they built them their way back up to being a trader city. And so, you, you know, everything is off with regards to the history. Like it's, it's got this futuristic past and then there was a an interregnum, a uh, uh, a uh, disaster period, a Middle Ages, a, and then things kind of had a renaissance. Wait a minute! And wait so a minute! Wait a minute! This yeah. this sounds familiar. Are you are you trying to say that Karth was uh, this 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 sound this sounds familiar? This sounds like your uh, your Game of Thrones is a sci-fi thing. Yeah, it's a definitely def- <laughs> um, uh, definitely it's post. Yes, that's what I'm saying. No, is it really? But what you're I, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think Karth definitely had an, an apocalypse of some sort. I mean, it it's in a red waste. I mean, and it has scenes of nature, so it wasn't always like a, a place of of uh, of of you know horror and, and sand. I mean, they definitely used to have like greenery around there. Um, nothing about it, the place makes sense. Like the Carthian are super pale, and yet it's the middle of the desert. They should be super dark. Like nothing, nothing makes sense about any of it. <laughs> super same with pale. Targaryens. <laughs> yeah, same with Targaryens. Like, why on earth would somebody that's super pale be like residing at the equator? Like that's just ridiculous. Like they were, you know. My guess is that they were subterranean at some point, and that's why they're super pale. But you know, that's what I think. But the the other reason I think they're going back to Karth, um, I mean, I mean, I think she's going back to Karth to talk to Quaithe. But one of the th- reasons I think she's going back is that in the uh, the World of Ice and Fire, the book, there's not there's hardly anything on Karth, like and and nothing. the whole and the and your whole theory behind that is that George R. R. Martin told the, the the two writers to do whatever the hell they want in crafting whatever the hell they want about the world, except leave certain things off limits because I'm going to revisit these places. Yeah, that's my yeah, that's my theory. Because there's nothing on Slaver's Bay, and mm-hmm. there's nothing on Karth, and so if you're gonna, you know, because he's he wants to keep those open, right? Because he wants to go back to them, it. and he wants to do his own thing before the story ends. Right. You can write. You can write about Lorath all day long, <laughs> you know, or you can watch. You can write about ET, whatever. But you know, Karth, Slaver's Bay, that's that's going to be part of the story. So. I think Danny's going back to Karth. I mean, once she's once she's on her dragon, she can go wherever she wants. It's gonna be fast, fast trip. Hmm. I don't know, man. Hopefully, we do see Quaith again. But like, do we need to see Quaith again? What What is Quaith gonna gonna tell us that we don't already know? What could, What's the possibility that Quaith, a conversation between Quaith and Danny personally, could really could really give us? Because you about like show or show or book in, in the book. Because in the book, if if Danny goes back to to Quaith, what can what can Quaith really give us? What information can re- she really dish out on us? Because there is a theory that Quaith is somehow Danny back to the future or something like that. Or yep, I'm oh, sure you yeah. heard of that one. Um, or uh, mm. that Quaith is uh, secretly a Targaryen, or that uh, Quaith is Shira Sea Star or Shara Dane mm-hmm. or something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. She could reveal her identity, and then as her identity, she would have a lot of history to tell. I mean, whether she's Shira Seastar or Ashara Dane or Danny from the future or, you know, anybody, uh, she's going to have a lot of history to tell. So she, she's got that part to advance. She also has all of the thing of, things about, like, why were you sending me dreams? Were you part of hatching my dragon eggs? Um, were you part of making me resistant to fire? Um, she would have all of those answers. Um, she might, I mean, she might be a big puppet master like Blood Raven. So, and I mean, there'd be a certain balance to it if it were like, if, it, if, if she was sheer, sheer sea star, because you'd have, you know, Blood Raven, Bitter Steel, and Sheer Sea Star. That's a, a freaking tongue twister. <laughs> sheer yeah, Bitter Steel, Blood yeah, by the seashore, yeah. Um, but there, there would be a certain, you know, uh, balance to it if, you know, the story were about Blood Raven up, up at the north of the wall, and then Bitter Steel invading, and then in the east, you know, uh, Shira Sea Star guiding Danny, and so you'd still have these three players like messing with the world after all of this time. That would be for an interesting thing. I. I... I was I was reading this thing this uh, this uh, just just to be random this uh, manga called Claymore which is basically about this you know mm. it takes place in this large island and the island is plagued with these demons and the, uh, the organization sends out these women with these large claymores to fight these demons one of the claymore women uh, theorizes that there's a larger continent out there who is at war with each other and they're using this smaller island compared to them to unleash biological weapons so they can test them on the island's inhabitants so they can use it in war over there. And it, mm. it's basically like, the story is centered on this one island, but many characters theorize that in this larger continent that they that's very far off, they don't know about, something else is big and that they're all pawns just so one of the armies can get an upper hand on the other one. That, that That's kind of like this here. Like, all of Game of Thrones, some of the big players are just pawns towards you know, a, a much larger goal, a much larger fight between three different people. Blood Raven with Bran, Bitter Steel with uh, Fake Aegon, and uh, Quaithe yeah. with Danny. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they're maybe they're just the the puppets of of even, you know, higher figures. The, so the puppets it's... from the people of E. T. <laughs> well that's the thing is we don't know like it's I mean, and, and George R. R. Martin's been pretty good about this. We don't know who the puppet masters are and who the the puppets are. You know, like we don't, like even with with Blood Raven, like you don't know if he's controlling the children or if the children are controlling him. You know what's going on in that relationship. So it's uh it's interesting. So, speaking of mm -hmm. Blood Raven, uh, so Bran appeared in the most recent trailer. He did. He did. He did not appear in the first trailer, did he? Him and Sam. No. Right. Uh, he did. And the question is, is sort of, what is he going to be doing? Uh, they show him briefly skin changing some ravens. So I suppose he can skin change some ravens and then try to peck out some some uh, you know, White Walker eyes or something and help John for, for a moment. <laughs> peck but, out White Walker eyes. <laughs> right. But it seems like it seems like he, you know, he's got to go back it seems like you got to go back to the time traveling uh plot right i mean you can't just do time traveling once and then never go back to it again this isn't harry potter well 
Well, I will say this. I don't think we're going to get any more time traveling. You don't think so? Because when 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 we talk about Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's understood that when you enter when you introduce time traveling into into your books, it, it can be a very messy, annoying situation, which is why they never do mm. time traveling ever again until the play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> until the play, for those of you who don't know, I'm not going to spoil the play for you, but uh, it was a very meh play because they do reintroduce time travel and it's a fuckstorm. But when you introduce time traveling into your into your your story, like a lot of things get fucked up. A lot of questions are like, so so is so is time a loop now? Like, has everything happened before? Because Hodor, like, did he somehow manage to break into time and change the events as time is continuing? Like, it's just a whole fucking thing, right? So I don't think they're gonna reintroduce time again. And the reason I don't think they are is because you have the children of the forest. And Bran is in this cave. Maybe this cave is a sacred place with a mm. lot of magic, and all this magic amplifies his power to be able to go back in time. Now that now that the cave has been compromised and Bran can't be there again, I don't think we're gonna have time travel because Bran, even though he can tap into these abilities, mm. they're not amplified when he's back at Winterfell. So so George R. R. Martin has three time travel stories that he's that he's written and one of them isn't even one one some people would argue with me if it's if it's time travel or not but but in these stories george r martin is very very aware of paradoxes and he really tries to avoid the paradoxes and his secret for for getting around it is consciousness that somehow you can if you send your consciousness back it's not a physical thing, and therefore it's not, uh, it's not interfering with things, you know, object-wise. You know how in Time Cop, if you go back in time and you touch yourself, you, the world explodes, you know? Or Wait, what? You, you really? I've yourself. never seen Time oh, Cop. Oh, God, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, if you, if, you, if you happen to touch yourself because of the paradox, you, like, annihilate yourself. It's ridiculous. Um, but, you know... Now, of course, it still doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it makes sense at all, but his attempt to get around it is consciousness time travel. He, you know, is his way of like trying to get around the paradoxes. But isn't that what Bran um, did? Bran, Bran basically, well, originally, what he was doing with the Tower of Joy scene and you know watching uh, mm-hmm. the, the the kids uh, spar, he sent his consciousness back. Like he's there, he can't touch anything, right? He, and he's walking, so you know it's it's clearly mm-hmm. in his mind. He's there in his mind, but how come the whole Hodor thing, how come Hodor was able to see him or even hear him? So I would say that like some people look at it and they go, oh, well, it's a time loop and therefore it's all closed and fine. and We don't have to think about it, but you can't just have a time loop. Something has to initiate the time loop. Like I understand like the original Terminator is a neat little time loop and then we don't have to think about it, but Something has to initiate the time loop in the first place. Mm. So you'd actually you'd so a time loop is a paradox. Like it's one just shouldn't exist for the sake of existing. So it sounds like there there wasn't a like it sounds like we're viewing timeline two, and that there was there was a, another story previously that that caused Hodor to become Hodor, and then Bran had to do it again in order to keep certain things in the timeline consistent. And then maybe he's going to like try to do something to the timeline again at the end of the story. But I mean, I don't, I don't like the idea of time loops. I don't think, uh, yeah, 
George R. R. Martin didn't do it in his other stories. Like he he had people send consciousness back to actually change time, and he did. And time was changed, you know, um, and not in a loopy, loopy, self fulfilling way. Would you say um, the butter? You know that butterfly effect movie with Ashton Kutcher? Yeah. Would you say that's the best way to do time travel? Every time you go back, shit does change in the future. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So um, maybe I should explain like some of the stories. So, so George R. R. Martin has a story called Under Siege, um, and it's the first story that Tyrion appears in. Um, so Tyrion. Well, it's not Tyrion, but it's Tyrion. So uh, it's a it's a the story takes place in the future, a, a post apocalyptic future, um, and it. Uh, Everybody's underground, and they've invented a time machine, and then there's certain people that they can send back in time. And one of these people is a clever, drunk, chess-playing dwarf. <laughs> and he's the time traveler. Of course. This, yes. So the, um, so the clever, the clever, so they, they keep sending him back to um, this period of time between Finland and Russia, when they had tensions leading up to, I think, World War II. And, you know, there's this one specific moment in history that he's trying to change in order to, in order to completely change the timeline and, like, stop the world from ending. Um, and so he sends his, he essentially, he hodors this guy in the past. So he goes back in time and he hodors this guy um, and he takes over his body and he tries to, like, get him to change things and the guy that's getting hodored is flipping out because he's think he's he thinks he's going insane he's like why am i doing things that are traitorous to my people why am i doing these random things i hear voices in my head i'm going nuts meanwhile in the future Tyrion is getting uh scared because he doesn't want to get blinked out of existence and he keeps saying to people like when i change the timeline won't we all cease to exist and they're like, yeah, you'll cease to exist, but a better world will be here instead because this world sucks. And Tyrion is like, ah, okay, I don't know. Uh. Anyway, he and Tyrion is flirting with this girl. We'll, we'll call her Shay. <laughs> and he's flirting, he's flirting with this girl. And then Shay ends up like banging this other guy. And so Tyrion becomes pretty suicidal. So he goes back in time and he's hodored the guy. And then... All of a sudden, there's this moment where the two consciousnesses decide to blend together. Like, the guy who's really scared of Tyrion Hodoring his body is like, nah, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be cool. Maybe this will be like a friendship. Our, our consciousnesses will merge. And so the consciousnesses merge, and the war is prevented. And at the end, like, this character is like this... The guy in the past is like this chess playing successful dude who lives a happy life um and the, the consciousness from the future got to exist and stay in the past like second life um, but the shit still happens no he changes time he changes time and i guess he blinks everybody out of existence shay her lover <laughs> his old body it's all blinked out of existence because he, he stopped the, the apocalypse yeah what book is this again uh, it's called Under Siege. 
It's got the same name as the fucking uh, goddamn um, executive decision. What's the what's the action star's name? Oh, uh, Steven Seagal. <laughs> Steven Seagal. Yeah, <laughs> got the same name as Steven Seagal's. Yeah, under siege. So, Preston, I have some uh, voicemails that were sent in to us. By the way, guys, I if you want to send your voicemails in, you want to have your voice heard on the podcast, please send it to me on facebook.com slash redteamreview. But, Preston, would you like to take some voicemails? Of course, of course. Uh, I forgot who sent this in. I do apologize, but this is one of the voicemails we have. Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, big love from Australia. Um, I was just wondering, what are your guys' thoughts on who the hooded man in Winterfell is? Because... It's got to be someone important, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't keep his face hidden. So, yeah, what do you think? So, his question is about the hooded man. Now, this is from the books. Hmm. Unfortunately, it was not in the show. But it's a, it's a cute little... It's an interesting mystery we have. Um, so, basically, for those people who haven't read the books, when Theon is in Winterfell, after the Boltons have taken it over, have taken it over, he encounters this random person who... Doesn't he know who the person is? We never find out who it is, but doesn't he recognize them? Or they recognize him? Um, well, Theon doesn't rec- doesn't really recognize him, but Theon has a real problem with recognizing anybody. He doesn't mention who it is, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but Theon, I mean, Theon's mind is all screwed up at this point. Like, he doesn't recognize his own sister and hits on her, you know? So there, there's a lot of weird things about, about Theon's recognition. Um, and then it all of a sudden coming back to him later and him being able to recognize people uh, after... A decade, like he can recognize Stannis's voice, even though he hasn't seen Stannis in in you know ten years. Um, but the hooded but the man, hooded, yeah, like is the this hooded just man, random person that we encounter in the books once and then just goes away? That's right. We, we it's very short. It's a, it's a very short paragraph. Um, Theon is walking through the snow, and the hooded man sees him. The Theon, uh, the hooded man recognizes Theon. Theon doesn't re- doesn't mention who he who, his identity. But they seem to know each other. Um, he pulls out a knife. Theon says that, uh, pulls off his glove and shows him his, his wounded hand. And then the hooded man kind of chuckles and moves on. You know, it's it's a very it's a very odd little uh, um, conversation. So when when I first read this, I I thought it was Theon because it was so short. Huh? What was the point? And I thought it was just Theon hallucinating. You know. His guilt yeah, the coming the- back. Theon, Theon Durden uh, theory. What's it called? Theon Durden theory is is uh is what people call. Oh, because Tyler Durden Fight Club, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but who could a hooded man be? Like, I know, I know, I know, you have some ideas. For me, I it's for me, it's either it's either uh, Theon's mind playing tricks on him, or one of Rob's mm. old allies. Take your pick of which one. Well, there's some things to think about. Um, it has to be an ally that, if he did come from outside, it has to be an ally that the Boltons at the gate would let in, mm-hmm. either to treat or because they thought he was an ally. Um, he might have snuck in, though, so we're not sure. But there, there is that issue of whether or not he's somebody that the Boltons would think is a potential ally and would let into the castle, um, thinking that there was no problem. Um, so, so some people say something like, oh, maybe it's Howland Reed. And I don't know if the Boltons would, would accept in Howland Reed or why Howland Reed would be traveling alone. Um, 
it, it would be it would be an odd situation. I also don't know if Howland Reed knows Theon and if Theon knows Howland Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, Theon traveled with Ned uh, all over the North, um, you know, as his you know as kind of as his ward, his assistant, um, and so Theon knows a lot of the lords and a lot of the castles. Right. But we we don't know if he ever went to Greywater uh, Greywater Watch, Watch mm-hmm. you know. So maybe it's certainly possible. It's I would like it mentioned. if it would be Helen Reed because that would mean that Helen Reed. I mean, would Helen Reed know how to sneak into Winterfell? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, who knows? Uh, I don't think so. But I mean, keep in mind only Theon knows how to sneak into Winterfell, <laughs> and Bran. I mean, Bran knows the castle inside and out. Um, I don't know who 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 else would know the ins and outs of Winterfell besides Theon and Bran. Mm-hmm. But who else could it be, uh, though? Um, well, the uh, the theory that I go with is uh, Robette Glover. Hmm. Um, Robette Glover uh, was for some reason in in White Harbor with with Manderley, um, and so and he sent off Davos to find Rickon. And so people might say, oh, it's Robert Glover. He's maybe an ally. We aren't sure because he was captured for much of the war. Um, and his wife, yeah, had to give forces to Stannis, but it wasn't, you know, he, she, you know, she, she didn't have much choice. So Robert Glover could potentially show up at the gates and say, oh, I'm neutral. I'm actually here to show homage to, to the Boltons. Or I'm here to treat because I have some really important information. And so some people think it's Robert Glover announcing or telling people inside Winterfell that Davos was successful and that he has uh, Bran after all. I mean, not Bran, Rickon after all. Um, Because, I mean, if Manderley is let in and they think Manderley is an ally, why wouldn't they let in Robert Glover? Right. You know. Could it also be Hallis Malin? The captain of the guard, who was also charged with Ned's bones. Uh, I mean, that's an interesting idea. Um, you know, back in back in a Clash of Kings, uh, uh, Catelyn sends Ned's bones north with Hallis Mollen, the captain of the guards, and uh, he vanishes. And um, Lady Dustin says he hasn't come out of the neck, and that she has people watching the neck to stop him because she purposely doesn't want Ned's bones returned to Winterfell. So I'm kind of against the idea that it's Hallis Mollen because the Dustins should have stopped him. Um, unless Lady Dustin's full of it and she, she really would side with him. But um, also the people at the gates, if, if Hallis Mollen showed up, I don't understand why they would let him in. They would say, whoa, some old Stark supporter? Like, what are you doing here? Um, and so I do wonder, you know, yeah, it'd be nice if Hallis Mollen would come back into the story, but I don't see what he could do. I mean, even if Hallis Mollen, let's say it was Hallis Mollen, like, okay, who cares? Like, <laughs> he sh- he shows up and, and he says, okay, I've got Ned's bones, and everyone goes, yeah, who gives a fuck? I mean, Lady Dustin would go, no! <laughs> everyone, everyone else, everyone else would be like, yeah, we don't care. Like, we're in the middle of a war here. Like, how is that relevant at all? 
Um, well, maybe he is so, working with Lady Dustin. Like, maybe Lady Dustin doesn't be- doesn't really trust Theon, so she's telling Theon, you know, things that you would tell someone who you believe is a Bolton supporter or a Bolton ally. And maybe she really is working with him, and she bribed the guards to let uh, specifically that sure. guy through. Sure, but Hallis Mullen doesn't change anything. Like, what's nice about the Ho- the Howland Reed theory, or someone that was with Howland Reed uh, in the... Um, in the neck is they might have Rob's will and Rob's will could affect the events. Um, and then if it's Robert Glover, you know, him arriving with news of Rickon could really affect the events. Right. And so both, both of these characters, you know, not only is it, you know, would they be people that would recognize Theon uh, and they might be people that the guard, that the Bolton guards would let by. They're also people that would shake things up. Like they're, their arrival would affect the story and would be important to the story. But Hallis Mullen, meh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, other than the fact that it's something that people have been thinking about, and Catelyn thinks about it in a, in a Storm of Swords, and Lady Dustin brings it up, brings it up in A Dance with Dragons. Like, other than this plot point getting closed, this random plot point getting closed, he doesn't really affect the story. Like. What's the thing I told in, you yeah. about uh, why it's Hallis Mullen? Oh, I just I told you like ten minutes ago. What was it? Um, His initials are the same. Yeah, the initials are the same. <laughs> I saw I saw that on a like a Facebook post. Someone puts hooded man, Hallis Mullen. Coincidence? I I don't know. <laughs> it's right under our nose the entire time. Clever boy, now, George. There, there's also the fun question of where is Hallis Mullen now? Oh boy. If if. Uh, if he if he didn't make it north like where you know is he hanging out with howland reed chilling at Greywater watch with some bones and, and rob's will like we know we don't know maybe maybe um, howland because you said he last time we saw him last time we we hear of him he's in the neck maybe he does catch up with howland reed howland stops him because the Greyjoys have taken mo Kalen. uh yeah i mean he can't continue on because the Greyjoys are there mm-hmm. so, um the 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 really fun idea that probably isn't true, but it's really fun, is that Hallen, Hallis Mullen was captured by the Ironborn, and then he was brought back to the Iron Islands, and <laughs> Ned's bones are aboard Victorian's ship, and they've been brought all the way out to Slaver's Bay. Jesus fucking Christ. How do you figure that? <laughs> you know, they, they, they took his bones and they, they popped it on his ship. Uh, thinking that they might be useful one day in, in, in some sort of negotiation, and he, he never unpacked the ship, and somehow Ned's bones ended up in Slaver's Bay. That's that's Jesus the more Christ. fun. That's the more fun uh, one. <laughs> that's so this fucking kind random, of like, though. Right. I mean, it's kind of like the fun the fun aspect of Gilly uh, being in Slaver's Bay, you know? Um, do you know about this? No, I do not know about this. I, everything Gilly, I try to avoid, but go ahead. <laughs> so, so Gilly, the last we see Gilly, uh, Sam left her on the Cinnamon Wind. Um, that's, uh, the, the Summer Islander ship mm-hmm. and, um, said, Hey, can Gilly stay here? And the captain Kohoro Mo is just like, okay, sure. What? Well, sure she can stay here but come back soon and he's like okay i'll be back and then sam goes to the citadel 
and he has his little adventure and he talks to Marwin and Marwin literally says, I'm going to go to Slaver's Bay with the cinnamon wind. And Sam's not really thinking and he kind of blank, like blacks out by looking into the, into the uh, glass candle. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, Marwin's gone. Now you don't know if Marwin went down to the docks and they kicked Gilly off the boat, or if Marwin got right Holy on the boat shit, and I don't remember sailed this. off with Gilly. Yeah, they took Gilly to Slaver's Bay. Well, we don't know. We know that we know that Marwin said he was going to take the same ship, and Gilly was on the ship the last time we saw her. And so, it would be really fun if her and the babe were taken to Slaver's Bay. Um, the other fun aspect of this is. Uh, Gior Mormont's last words were, "Have ha, you know, tell my son to to uh, to take the black," and Gilly was sitting right there, and so she Holy could shit. actually deliver that message to uh, Jorah Mormont. Jorah. But but how would she know it was Jorah? I mean, come on. I I mean, you know, and it would be incredible memory. Like, of, <laughs> you know, like I've met all of these random dudes. Like, my whole life, I've known, like, 30 people, and they're all my relatives. And in the last, in the past, you know, year, I have met, uh, you know, hundreds of dudes. You know, am I really going to remember the name Jorah Mormont? And, and this, you know, who knows? But it's a fun little, it's a fun little idea that, like, Gilly is in Slaver's Bay, and she's going to meet Jorah Mormont, and she's going to tell him, like, you're supposed to take the black. So who do we have? Who do we have at Slavers Bay? We have Victarion, Ned's Bones, Gilly. Anybody else? <laughs> Gilly, Gilly, Baby Amen. Uh, Anybody else? Uh, um, who could accidentally be there? Yeah. Uh, Gendry, I mean, maybe. Pe people used to think that maybe uh, Euron was out there, but Euron's definitely not. Euron is definitely now. The, the whole because of the, the whole Euron uh, is is uh, Dario thing. D Dar yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, but now that we know that. That the Battle of Blood is happening, and he's out. You know, he's with uh, he's with Aaron, so he's definitely not there. I'm, I'm trying to think of anybody else cool. I mean, besides Marwin, Gilly, um, Baby Amen, Ned's Bones, Hallis Mollen. Um, Every everybody's convert all the random characters. You you, you don't really <laughs> you don't really know why they're just all even dead characters are all converging on Danny for the final for the, for the finale. The oh final shit! You know who you know who might be there too? Mm. Um, uh, fucking Viserys's bones, Viserys's body. Obviously, Aemon's Aemon's dead body. Um, old Aemon's dead body is is going to be there because it was. It's still the, in the cinnamon wind. Yeah, it's no still way. in the cinnamon wind. Yeah. And all of his books, got including the fucking book on dragons. By the way, fuck it, like it's so fun to like, to like track this one dragon book. So, oh shit, I'm on tangent. Do you remember way back at the beginning of a Game of Thrones, Tyrion is reading a book about dragons mm -hmm. in the Winterfell Library. He takes a bunch of books with him to the wall. And he asks Ned's permission, and Ned says it's okay. While he's on his way to the wall, while he goes to the wall, remember the Winterfell Library is burned down. Because of the, so the Tyrion, cat's paw. Because of the cat's paw. So Tyrion ends up saving some books. Now, we, we, never, we don't know, really know what happens to Tyrion's books after this, because Tyrion doesn't really mention bringing them back to the library. But 
based on the description of what Tyrion's reading, it seems like Sam comes across the book later um, and ends up bringing the book with him on his voyage south. And then he brings the book all the way down to Old Town where it's supposed to be sold, where it's supposed to be brought to the, the Citadel, but he accidentally had sold it back to, you know, Kohuro Mo. Um, and so Kohuro Mo says he's going to sell it to the Citadel, but Marwin jumps on the boat real quick and they likely have brought the, that book all the way to Slaver's Bay. So... What the fuck? I know. It's It's... There's this. It's a. It's a. It's an incredibly crazy thing. See, but it's see, funny this, is, this is why I love you because you're the one paying attention to this stuff. Like, like, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you notice that these people are reading books about dragons and shit like this, but you don't really, you don't really. It doesn't really connect the dots until someone like you, who's really paying attention, starts connecting the dots. So, so the, basically, the book is doing that one thing that you did in one of your recent videos, where like the dagger gets made. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, it gets followed. So yeah, Tyrion Tyrion read a dragon book, he brought it to the wall, you know, Sam later finds this dragon book, it seems like the same one, brings it down to Old Town, it may have gotten dropped off, or it may have been brought all the way to Slaver's Bay. So there might be this dragon book, there might be Aemon's body, um, there might be baby Aemon, there might be Gilly. What kind of irresponsible (laughs) asshole gets on the boat and doesn't clear it of dead bodies, women and children? (laughs) I know. I know, because Kahuru Mo actually said it would take him several days to unload his ship. So if Marwyn went and took off immediately, it means he didn't unload his ship. So we have the body of Aemon, Ned's bones, baby, a babe, the baby and Gilly, and these random books all heading towards fucking Danny. Everybody's converging on Danny. Well, uh, so there's also another question um, of what happened to Viserys' body. <laughs> so it's never discussed after Didn't, uh, wouldn't the Dothraki just leave it there or, or like bury him in a shallow grave because Danny doesn't give a fuck uh, I don't know it's covered with gold uh, uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't like you wouldn't you've got a gold color covered skull like you wouldn't you wouldn't throw that away but um, before Tyrion jumps on his ship the widow of the waterfront does tell him you're going on a boat, and one of the things on the boat is actually a dead body that's been pickled. And we have no idea whose dead body is pickled and would be would be heading, you know, to Slaver's Bay. But some people are like, well, maybe it's Viserys' body? What happened to Viserys' body? No one knows what happened to Viserys' body. It might be sitting in Faced-Off Rock, covered in gold. But, uh, Jesus fucking so Christ. So many things, so many things. <laughs> That that's why you want a Sam chapter so badly because oh my god you want you want you want there to be a moment where where Sam's like hey wait a minute where's Gilly what the fuck happened where the fuck is Gilly, Gilly? <laughs> I, I I I steal this woman from the north to bring her all the way here just to forget where the fuck is Gilly where is it'd she it'd just be awesome it would be the worst feeling in the world as well like you've been on a ship for months and you think you've arrived and it's like sorry no you're gonna be on a ship again for months oh god poor gilly <laughs> I, that's so it's so douchey but i i i love i love the fact that gilly's gonna be in the middle of an ironborn uh a Marinese harpy fight with like dragons all around her, like it may, in the middle of a siege, no less, and and she's just gonna be arriving just in maybe just in time for that fucking battle to still continue. 
my god. <laughs> but yeah, but the chances of Hallis Mullen and Ned's Bones being there, I don't know. But it would be a fun one. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for for now. We'll we'll close it up here, guys. Thank you so much for listening to After Show Episode Three. Sorry it took so long to get out, but uh, you know, Preston and I have things to do. He has to visit Narnia, and I have to. Sometimes I can't record because uh, noisy as hell over here. But we are available on SoundCloud and iTunes, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon for some exclusive discussions between Preston and I, as well as early access to the next episode three to five days before it's out anywhere else. But once again, guys, thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. Preston, do you have anything? No, no, that's good. I'll see you guys later. Also, uh, make sure be sure to follow Preston on Twitter at SweetRobin9000 and his Facebook, because, uh, oh, by the way, we, we, I fucking wanted to discuss this real quickly, but I... I forgot, oh my god, how um, the topic of you is fucking taboo and forbidden on certain Facebook groups and forums. <laughs> well, how, can we discuss, do you mind if we discuss that? Cause I know it's like, you know, I, I know, I know you, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want really, to really get into, but do you mind if we discuss that next episode or? Sure, sure, we can discuss it. Yeah, because for those of you who don't know, like a lot of people hate Preston outside of YouTube for no fucking reason whatsoever. And I really wanted to go into how ridiculous that is. <laughs> you, you know it is. You know it's fucking yeah, yeah, stupid. Yeah. Uh, also, we are most likely not going to do an after show when season seven hits. So we'll do episode four, then five, then six right away. But we won't do like an after show. But we'll try to dish out as many podcast episodes as possible during season seven. Also, guys, I know this episode is one of the shortest ones we've done. I am sorry about that. Originally, I wanted to go through a lot, lot more of your questions and voicemails, but we've run out of time. Preston has to go to work, and so do I, and at times it's a bit difficult to record due to our, you know, different time zones, but I promise you, we'll go through as many as we can. Do not stop sending your voicemails. Keep sending them to me at uh, facebook.com slash redteamreview. I want to save as many as I can for future episodes. But once again, thanks so much for listening and for your patience, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.